morning, everybody. Good morning to those of you online. And so uh, Pastor Rich and Rosie and their kids, they're on vacation. And so we are in for a treat today. I would love to say that this is a, a guest, but this is not a guest. The speaker today is more like a family member that kind of came back to town, but actually he lives here in town. And so uh, he is the founder of Hope Church NYC, a family of churches that serve the New York City area. He's also the pastor of Hope Midtown. Um, He's a co-founder of New City um, uh, Ministries, which serves other, a bunch of churches, excuse me, in the New York area that come together, urban churches that serve in that way. And he is also part of the leadership of Emotionally Healthy Discipleship with Pastor Pete and Jerry Scazzaro. So now I've told you this person is not a guest. This is actually a friend. Um, This person is a former pastor here at New Life Fellowship. So you know how we welcome guest speakers. Remember, this is a family member. So I want you to give it up for Pastor Drew Hyun. to be here. Now, I realize a lot of you who don't know me, you're probably like, this better be good. (laughs) Um, Well, here's the good news. If you're new to New New Life, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Uh, Pastor Rich, as well as the team that's normally here. If you like what you hear today, the good news is Pastor Rich and the team, they're way better. So you got to come back next week and, uh, and, and again, be part of this community. We'd love to have you join here. And if you don't like what you hear today, um, Pastor Rich and the team are way better. So come back next week. Either way, come back next week. I think you'll find that this is an incredibly vibrant spiritual community. In many ways, I I feel like a son of this house um, as we started Hope Church NYC, really out of New Life Fellowship. And so uh, it does feel like a homecoming for us. Uh, Over the last... um, or last week, rather, Pastor Rich actually started us in this sermon series called Lexicon of Faith. Uh, Now, the word lexicon is actually this word that basically means a set of words that are related or a vocabulary that's related to a certain kind of um, subject matter. So, for instance, if we were to talk about, uh, for instance, a lexicon of New York City, we would say a lexicon of New York City would be traffic, hello, somebody, right, or the subway, or uh, better than Boston in every way, you know, like... uh, (laughs) Ah, uh, yeah. Um, or we can add any city, let's be honest, right, instead of Boston, right? Better than every other city in every way. There's a lexicon, right, words that are associated with a certain subject matter. And so we've been talking about a lexicon of faith, and Pastor Rich actually started with this first word uh, that's part of a lexicon of the historic faith that we're part of. Uh, since time began, there's been this movement that God has been doing, and the word that uh, Pastor Rich talked about last week was this word gospel, which is a word that means good news. That fundamentally what it means to believe in the gospel of God is to believe in that it's good news through the person of Jesus. And today we're looking at this word called grace. In fact, high five your neighbor and say grace. Can you do that real quick? That's right. 
grace is this word that when it comes to the central message of Christianity is so unique, and it's what makes it so unique. Grace is this word that means unmerited favor. Uh, The fact that God's disposition towards people, towards us, is one of unmerited favor. Now, that is unbelievable because most religious systems, whether ancient or modern, have this belief that God somehow, that the way that God's disposition is towards us is that he's basically out to get us. And somehow he's going to punish us or smite us if we've done anything. And yet there's this word called grace that is found throughout the scriptures that talk about how God's disposition is one of overflowing, abundant love towards his people. Uh, Now, I'd love to introduce another word to you. It's this word called theology. Theology, the root word of theology, it actually comes from these two Greek words, theos, which means God, and logos, which basically means logic or word or account or reason or study. Now, obviously, when we talk about biology, it's kind of the study of life. Or zoology is the study of animals. And so theology is the study of God. And so throughout history, people have studied who is God. Now, in the Christian tradition, there are basically two different ways or approaches that people have studied theology, the study of God. It's basically through systematic theology uh, and biblical theology. Now, systematic theology is, is, a, is a manner or an approach that looks at, let's look at all the scriptures that relate to these certain words. So as we talk about a lexicon of faith, the different words that relate to the historic Christian faith, uh, words like sin or confession, systematic theology would basically say, hey, let's look throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament scriptures about what the Bible has to say about grace And there's all these verses that I can present to you and say, look at all these passages that talk about the grace of God. And biblical theology is this other way of talking about or studying theology. Biblical theology is to look at the scriptures throughout as a story. If you know anything about the scriptures, it was written over 1,500 years, uh, over 66 books comprise it, and yet there's this theme, there's this thread of biblical theology. And what you'll notice throughout the scriptures is there's a story of grace time and time again that's being propagated and demonstrated about who God is towards his people. And so what I thought today is, uh, yes, we will talk about different verses that talk about grace, but I thought we'd actually look at a story itself. And it's a story of Jesus calling one of his disciples named Simon Peter. Uh, Jesus would later give this name of Peter to him, and it's found in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Let's check this out. Look at what it says. It's a story when Jesus first calls Peter to be his disciple. It says, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Uh, up to this point in the Gospel of Luke, which is a historical account of the person of Jesus, there's, people have heard the miracles that Jesus has done, how he's taught with incredible authority. And so this crowd is crowding around him. And so he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, this is again Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So do you see what's happening? There's crowds crowded along the shore, and he begins to teach the people. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. 
For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners, who were also professional fishermen. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed Jesus. Now, some of you might read this story, and you're like, what does this have to do with grace? Uh, this is an incredible story, and, and uh, to give some backdrop of what's happening here, here Jesus is, again, his reputation precedes him. He's been known as this miracle worker who opens the eyes of the blind. The lame walk, he preaches with incredible authority. So this crowd is around him, and there it comes this moment, right, where Jesus Basically, he says to Peter, he does this miracle. He basically says, Peter, listen, this is what I want you to do, Simon Peter. I want you to go and put your nets out um, into the deep water. And Simon Peter, he responds in this way where he's like, what are you talking about, Jesus? I'm the professional fisherman. He doesn't really say that. But that's basically what's happening, right? He says, Master, we've worked hard all night long. But because you can heal the sick, uh, I'll do it. I'll do whatever you say. Now, what's so stunning about this story is Simon Peter actually listens to Jesus. Even though Simon is the professional fisherman, he puts the net, nets into the deep water, and what ends up happening? There's such a tremendous catch of fish. The nets begin to break. He starts calling over his partners and says, come help me with all these fish. Now, here's what's so stunning about this story. Because here's another moment where Jesus has just done this stunning, absolutely stunning miracle on Simon Peter's behalf. And here's what happens, right? Simon Peter, I can imagine all this stuff is happening. He's a professional fisherman. He's listened to Jesus. He now catches an abundance of fish. I could imagine him jumping in the water, swimming to Jesus, and basically coming to Jesus and basically being like, Jesus, that's right. All these guys didn't believe you. I did. Boom, right? Chest bump. We got this, Jesus. I knew you were Jesus. I knew you are him. I mean, that, I, I, that's basically what I would think that Simon Peter would do. He'd be overjoyed and ecstatic, filled with emotion and wonder. But Simon Peter doesn't respond that way. Or you would think that this is what Simon Peter would do, right? He, he, this miracle is happening in front of his eyes. He'd swim over to Jesus and immediately with Jesus, he'd be like, hey, Jesus, um, how, how did you know that? How did you do that? How did you, how did you, what, like, you know, what's crazy is your knowledge of where the fish are, if we were able to maximize that gift, we could actually expand this business quite a bit, start a fish netting business that would make us millionaires. You would think, right, Simon Peter would, maybe, maybe he'd be quizzical. Or you would think that Simon Peter, he'd jump in the water, he'd swim to Jesus, and he'd be like, Jesus, I surrender to you. I will follow you with all of my life, right? He'd submit to Jesus and basically say, I will follow you wherever you want me to go because you've just done this incredible miracle. Here's what's so stunning, because you would expect, after this miracle is done, you'd expect Simon Peter to be overjoyed or quizzical or surrendered to Jesus. But notice how Simon Peter responds. When Simon Peter saw this, he actually falls at Jesus' knees. And he basically says, just get away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. 
Just, Jesus, like, please go somewhere else. Not here. Not me. The question is, why does Simon Peter respond this way? You would think a miracle has just been done on his behalf. You would think that he'd react with joy or quizzically or with surrender. And yet what you see is shame. It's just, Jesus, will you just get away? Now, now the clue is found. Why would Simon Peter respond this way? Check out what it says about why Simon responds this way. It says, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. In other words, there's something about the actual miracle where, they've, where Jesus was somehow all-knowing enough to know all about this catch of fish that caused Simon Peter to surrender in shame and basically say, like, get away from me. Now, what does that mean then? There's something about the miracle that Jesus did that causes Simon Peter to respond that way. Check this out. Look at what it says. It says, this is earlier in the passage. It says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. (laughs) Of course, this is where Simon answered, master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So there's something about the miracle where Jesus actually makes these words, or he says these words, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, what does this mean, deep water in particular, especially in the ancient world? Deep water was something that in the ancient world, which obviously they didn't have the technological advances that we might have today, but it was believed that anyone who knew what lied in the surface of the deep water, that that knowledge was only reserved for the gods. Because certainly, if anyone ever had the knowledge of what lied beneath in the heart of the sea, then that person has this omniscient knowledge of knows what lies in the hidden parts of the world. This is what the ancients believed about anyone who had this kind of knowledge of what lied in deep water. And so the clue in the text, when Jesus basically says, put out into deep water, And Simon Peter's like, listen, I've been at this all day and night, and I'm the professional fisherman. But because you say so, I'm going to do it, even though I checked the deep earlier. And what does he do? He puts out his net into the deep water, and he catches all these fish. Now, one by one, what happens to Simon Peter is he starts to realize, oh, my goodness. This same Jesus who can open the eyes of the blind, the same Jesus who can make the lame walk, This same Jesus knows everything that lies within the deep. And I can imagine for Simon Peter, he starts to put two and two together and he starts to realize the same Jesus who knows what lies in the heart of the earth is the same Jesus who probably knows everything about me. This Jesus who knows all the hidden mysteries of the universe is the same Jesus who who can see every part of me, my shameful past, the mistakes I've made, my insecurities, my shame. And so when Simon comes to Simon Peter, he says, Jesus, just listen, just get away from me. I am a sinful man. It's like we hear 
Simon Peter just in that statement, all the messages that he's heard throughout his life of you're not good enough. You don't have what it takes. You're a sinner. God doesn't love you. It's like all these messages begin to torment him. And all Simon Peter can do is just like, Jesus, just get away. You want to choose someone else. Choose Pastor Rich. You know, like just (laughs) not me. You've got the wrong person. It's almost like if you can imagine... You can imagine on these screens, right, like there was a running, scrolling kind of video of your life and mine and all the things, perhaps, the regrets that we have, the shames, the insecurity that we carry, the ways in which we're not proud of behaviors or choices or longings that we have, things that we wouldn't share with even people that are close to us. And and see, this experience that Simon Peter is having, it's, it's very similar, perhaps, to what what that experience would be like, having this rolling video footage. And Simon, is, Peter is just like, Jesus, just get away from a sinner like me. You know what's stunning? Because you know the end of the story. What happens is, even though he says, get away from me, what does Jesus do? Jesus, essentially, he looks at Simon Peter. And he basically says, I see all of you. I still choose you. No, no, Jesus, you don't understand. Like, you, know, you don't understand some of the things that I've done and said and the ways that I've... Jesus like, no, 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 no. I, I see all of you. I still choose you. Uh, Jesus, you probably, you have the wrong person though. I don't know, you know, you know I, I'm, I'm from Staten Island. I'm like, no one ever chooses me. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, just, just, and Jesus is like, no, no, no. I, I, I see all of you. And I still choose you. In this explosive message of grace, Jesus says, do not be afraid. I now call you to change the world. Now, this is stunning. Now, to give a little background about why this is so stunning, it's because Simon Peter has probably um, had the experience of not being chosen or not being good enough. You see, the way that disciples were often called in the ancient world was disciples were actually called uh, or applied to different rabbis to basically learn or study under them. And it was a dream of every young Jewish boy to learn under the best rabbis. And so every young boy's dream, much like Peter, he probably studied hard, did his best to show that he was someone that belonged, that was good enough, that could be chosen to be a follower of the best rabbis. Uh, But oftentimes the process went a little bit like this. The rabbis would look over these applications per se and would basically say, oh, this person comes from a wonderful family, but their marks are not as great as they should be. I don't know if this person is good enough. This person, I don't know. They, they're not passionate enough. I don't know if I can work with this person. And so they would look through these different candidates and essentially they'd say, well, this person's not good enough. And if you weren't good enough, the way that uh, what was said to you was, go and learn your father's trade. Now, the reason why Simon Peter is likely a fisherman is because he wasn't good enough. He knows the feeling of not being chosen. 
of not being good enough. I remember Greg Howe, who was on the teaching team here, he once gave this illustration, and I loved it. It's the illustration of, do you remember when, like, in elementary school, we all were choosing teams for dodgeball and kickball? Do you remember that, that experience where they have, like, the most athletic person is the captain, and then, and then all the kids are lined up against the wall? And, and, of course, the older kids get, they're probably like, ah, oh, what is this? This is so silly, right? But inside, everyone's like, please pick me, please pick me, please pick me. Like, you know, that feeling? You know, and then one by one, kids get chosen, and then even more so if I'm not chosen, then I'm basically just like, oh, this is so, so stupid. But inside, I'm like, please don't let me be last. Please don't, right? Like, that's, that's kind of how this goes, that feeling of not being chosen. Now, if you were chosen first, I, I hate you. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. God loves you too. There's grace for you as well. Grace for you as well. Just more grace for me. Feeling not good enough. Like, I don't have what it takes. I grew up in a family. My father uh, immigrated here along with my mom from South Korea and grew up in a very violent household. And my dad was doing the best he could uh, with us. It's taken me years to heal and be on this journey. I had three brothers, so there was four of us. And we were all born relatively close in age. So in three and a half years, my mom had four of us. And uh, the reason why was because I have a twin brother. So I was the last. And so growing up, it was constantly um, this vying for my dad's affections and his attention. There was this father wound in me that I just really wanted to be told, I love you and I'm proud of you. But for so much of my life, I had been in competition with my brothers. And very early on, kind of, there had been a reputation that had been settled upon each of the brothers. My oldest brother, Stefan, he was the one that was the firstborn, uh, the firstborn son that had all the rights as a firstborn, and he let us know about it. And, uh, <laughs> and my second brother, Philip, he was the smart one. He always did well in school, and he was very savvy as a business person and things like that. And so my brother, Philip, he was always the smart one. My brother, Peter, who's my twin brother, he was always the gregarious, funny one, just would light up a room. And then there was me, who was the youngest of the twin brothers. And what's interesting is I I look back at these photos of myself when I was a kid, and if you look at these photos, there's usually the four of us, and again, I'm the smallest and the youngest, but uh, with my twin brother, but I'm always standing a little bit behind my brother Peter, because my, my brother Peter's making everyone laugh or something, and I'm just kind of watching him and laughing as well. And I look at those pictures and I just realize like that same ache, that longing to be someone who felt like was told these messages that I'm good enough, that I'm loved, that I'm accepted. And what's so stunning is that Jesus actually, when it comes to Simon Peter, who's been used to hearing these same messages, you're not good enough. Go and learn your father's trade. You're not chosen. You're not the first pick. Can you imagine all these messages that Simon Peter has heard? And Jesus cuts through all of that and he says, no, 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 I see all of you. I still choose you. Uh, Jesus, you got the wrong guy. I don't know, maybe some other family. No, 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 no. Jesus is like, no, no, I see, I see it all. I still choose you. You know, oftentimes I think that we think of God in the same way. We think that he's got like these applications of us and he's just kind of rifling through it and he's constantly checking this application. Like, ah, you know what, this person, ugh, 
this person doesn't know enough about the Bible. Can't use them. Ah, this person, oh my goodness, this person grew up in that neighborhood? (laughs) Can't use that person. This person grew up in a broken family. Certainly can't use that person. Come on. This person struggles with depression? (laughs) Can't use that person. This person grew up in poverty. I mean, I'll probably choose them maybe 20th or something. I mean, this is what we think of God, right? Like, he's got this list and ranking of people, and he's basically looking. And this person, they, they grew up in a, in a rich neighborhood. Can't use them. But please tithe to newlifefellowship.org. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> right? There's, there's all these ways in which we think of God This person has an addictive past. This person's family has struggled with different issues or has been separated or divorced and can't use them. We think of God as having this list as if he's measuring up your background, your performance, The miracle and the wonder of Jesus is he says, yeah, I see all of you. I still choose you. Friends, that's what grace is. Grace is unmerited favor. It's not based on your background, your pedigree, your 401k, what you bring to the table. It's not like God is basically like, oh, this person, this person is a person of color. I can't use them. This person's a white person. I can't use them. God doesn't see those things. Instead, the story of God and the story of Jesus has always been a story of unmerited favor that he says, I see all of you. I still choose you. Yeah, but you don't know how I struggle relationally. And Jesus is like, no, 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 I see it all. You know what's stunning about the life of Peter? Because you don't even have to be a Christian. You've probably heard this before. Peter was someone who, Simon Peter was someone who had so much bravado about following Jesus. In fact, Jesus says to Simon Peter, you're going to betray me one day. And Simon Peter's like, never! When everyone else fails and betrays you, I will not. And then like a chapter later, <laughs> Jesus is on his road to death. And they ask, a servant girl asked Simon Peter, you were with him, you were one of the disciples. Simon Peter's like, no, 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 you got the wrong person. You got the wrong person. Simon Peter would actually betray Jesus three times and weep bitterly. And here's the stunning thing. It's not like Jesus doesn't know this when he's calling Simon Peter for the first time. You know, could you imagine Jesus basically, you know, Peter's like, get away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. And and Jesus is basically, I know, you're gonna betray me actually three times, dude, in my time of greatest need. You know what, let's put you on a probation then, okay? Let's do probationary period. Next three years, you journey with me. We see if you jump through these hoops. Then maybe you can follow me and be my full-fledged disciple. But here's what's so stunning is that that that's not what Jesus says to Simon Peter. He's basically like, I see all of you. Your past, your present, future. Still choose you. What's so stunning, again, in the history of the people of God, 
The story of the scriptures is not a story of people, perfect people who have propped themselves up so that they could be honorable before God. The story of the scriptures are people, murderers, people with broken paths, people that struggle with depression who somehow are used and chosen by the grace of God to be called sons and daughters, fully accepted and fully loved. And friends, this is grace. You see, the early church knew this. This is why the Apostle Paul, look at what he teaches to the church in Ephesus. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves, not by works, not by the same way that everyone else in the world measures people based on performance, what you do, your LinkedIn profile, your Instagram following, all the the ways the world works is so based on your performance. And yet what what Paul basically says is, no, it's by grace alone. That's why no one should boast. This is why Christianity is the most radically, exclusively inclusive kind of faith invitation there is. Because the invitation is, anyone here not perfect? Anyone? I guess just me. I'm sorry, I guess that was just me. No one's raising their hand. Got it. If you're simply willing to say, I don't have it all together. I need grace then here's the thing. God says, here it is. Let me overflow in my grace for you because the posture of God and what's so unique about the Christian story has been a story that God has always, despite your shame, despite your background, despite the things that you might be ashamed of, he cuts through the shame, he cuts through the fear, he cuts through all of the insecurities and says, nope, that's right, you. I see all of you. I still choose you. This is free grace. Now, you know what's so stunning, though? It's, it's not only about, is this, is this all it is that God has this free grace for us that costs nothing? Well, here's the thing, right? Because Peter would betray Jesus. Jesus is the one that in the calling of Peter would continually absorb some of the pain from the relationship. In fact, Jesus, and this is what we believe as Christians, what centers us around the good news that Rich talked about last week, the good news of Jesus is that Jesus would actually go and die on a cross. Now, why would Jesus die on a cross on our behalf? He does this because all of the ways in which you and I, we might make mistakes, we might struggle with our own insecurities, we might struggle with all of our shame and fear, Jesus goes to the cross, and what the scriptures tell us, that the reason why Jesus would actually die on the cross is that he would want to communicate to the world around us that God is a God who instead, rather than hurt and punish you, he would rather absorb the pain himself. Why? Because of love. Because he loves you. And this is what grace is. One person puts it this way. When it comes to grace, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. This is what grace is. We receive the calling as sons and daughters of a great father in heaven. At Christ's expense, what he has done for us to show us that his posture toward us is one of love, is one of forgiveness, is one of brand new starts, is one of today, for instance, if you've come into this room, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, there might be ways and even doubts and you're just like, Drew, I don't know if, if what you're talking about is really right. You don't know where I've been this past week or this past month or the past five years. And here's what I'd like to say to you. From God, the message of God to his people has always been, I see all of you. 
I still choose you. Come and join me in changing the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I don't know. You maybe probably got the wrong person. I'm too old. No, no, no. I see all of you. I still choose you. Ah, you don't know. I'm too young. No, no, no. I see all of you. I still choose you. Friends, this is the grace of God. Today can be a brand new start. Will you replace the messages of shame and insecurity? And today, will you receive the grace of God and respond in faith? I'm gonna invite us to stand. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come forward. You know, I remember when I was, uh, when I first preached here, there's so many times when I think, when I first, one of the first sermons that I preached here, I remember I was preaching this sermon on how God doesn't expect us to be perfect, but he expects us to be honest. And so here I was preaching this, and I had my notes out and everything, and I remember I was preaching, and there was this moment in the preaching where I just, I kind of, I lost my place in my notes, so I didn't know where I was going. So because I lost my place, I started to get very self-conscious. And I started to get really flustered and started sweating. And no one noticed it, but I, I, at least I, I think. But I remember being so flustered that I, I was just like, I paused. And then I went back over to my notes. And while I'm looking at my notes, I, I started saying like, you know, whenever, whenever God, whenever I read the, the, the Bible, like God speaks to me so powerfully. And meanwhile, I'm just looking for my notes. And I just realized, like here I was, like blah, blah, blah. I was saying all this spiritual stuff. And... Uh, and then I remember c- coming home and I was, I was like sweaty and exhausted. And I was like, oh my goodness, what was that? And I realized here I was speaking about God expects us, doesn't expect us to be perfect, but he expects us to be honest. And here I was lying my face off while I'm preaching. And I just thought, Get away from me, Lord. (laughs) I am a sinful man. You know, there's so many ways, so many episodes in life where, I mean, what happens to us is we make mistakes and there's insecurity and shame and fears that begin to cripple us when it comes to walking forward in life and relationships. And what if the invitation to you today where Jesus would give his life to prove to you that his posture towards you has always been one of love, forgiveness, wholeness, and new beginnings and a new chance. Let's pray together. Father, cover us in your grace. God, thank you that you see all of us still choose us and you invite us into a life with you to be a people who walk fully into our destiny as people who have been changed by your love, by your grace. Thank you that this is good news that the world desperately needs. Thank you that this is good news that we need 
So Father, I pray that you would burn it into our hearts. May we be a people who have been covered and captured by your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together.